0: How do you become and stay a better investor? Today, we're closing out the second season of Off The Sidelines. Welcome back to season two, episode 11, the final one of Off The Sidelines second season. This is your guide to becoming a better investor. The world needs a new generation of great companies and we need your help. I'm your host, I'm Chris Wink, the co-founder and CEO of Technically, a network of local tech economy news sites. Off the Sidelines is sponsored by Project Entrepreneur, programmed program by UBS. They want to strengthen the ecosystem for women founders and advance inclusive capital. That includes diversifying the pipeline of investors and supporters. Today, the final episode of the second season, we're going to bring together all the themes. It's a clip show. To do that, I am joined by technically managing editor, Julie Zeglin, and reporter, Michael Butler. Julie, Michael, thank you for showing
1: up. Hey, Chris. <laughs> hey, what's going on, Chris? All right, we were doing a recap show.
2: Yeah, it's just like your year-end Spotify wrapped, kind of. <laughs> you
0: know. Yeah, even though I use Apple Music, but yeah. All right, enough product placements. Okay, yeah, let's. we're going to hit the, cl- the clips and the themes. Let's do this.
2: Yeah, hey, Chris, you should do that thing where you say, ask that class a bunch. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, What do you think the themes are of the second season of Off the Sidelines?
0: Yeah. Classy. Okay. Uh, Yes. So the central question we asked this season, who is an investor and how is investing changing? And yes, Julie, I will. A couple of things matter about why the focus attention on private market business investing. And for simplicity, we're just gonna say venture capital. But like so there's low interest rates, historically low, and that's like means pools of money, it's just trying to find a home of high for high returns. And then we have like technology that's created a whole new sector of winner-take most businesses and 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 differently changed how investing happens. There's also been legislative changes to who and how can invest. But This season was a really hard look at at who is investing and in whom because finally a movement of racial equity has broken into investing circles. So the themes of the season really focused on pathways for people to become investors from different backgrounds with a special focus on people from historically underrepresented groups like black investors and and women investors and and others. And throughout the season, we just kept coming back to diversifying who is investing and whom they invest in is not just a a moral issue, but it's a a business opportunity. I don't mean to sound crass, but that's what we heard, that we're talking new emerging markets as a serious asset class, Julie.
1: Yeah,
2: you made it almost all the way through (laughs) without saying asset class.
1: Almost, almost. (laughs) But yeah, so whether you're just dreaming about being an investor someday, or you're actively writing your first check, or you're experienced by having a rethink, this season is a lot of lessons on how angel and VC investing is changing. And and this first theme, this first
0: lesson for for you at home is is challenging network effect. We took that on because it's something we all rely on. It's how we get our closest introductions and ideas and perspectives. But it has an insidious side, too.
2: Right. So Nasir Quadri, who founded a new D.C.-based fund, in our first episode, he made a strong case for breaking out of your network if it doesn't represent the world that you're trying to change.
3: When you invest in black women and diverse founders in general, you do outperform. When you have a diverse management team, you outperform. And so there's these clear metrics that clearly show that when you're sourcing companies with a racial equity lens, it's a good chance that your portfolio will outperform as well. Chris, didn't you say Lalita
1: Tobb said something similar?
0: Yeah, totally. Episode six, the one we did together, Lolita, she has a new firm called the Community Fund, and she says part of her investment thesis is that her team and portfolio will be diverse. Like not for woke politics, but because she sees it as a business advantage.
2: For smaller funds like early stage funds like ours, I, I think the you know underperformance of funds has to do more more broadly with a homogeneous body of investors who perceive the world with similar approaches and, and similar pattern matching. And I very much believe that if we are to produce outside returns, we have to build a heterogeneous investor community to be able to identify the unicorns of the future. Yeah. And Chris, you keep dropping that stat of a rare example of success in changing business investing. What is it? In a recent 10-year period, the number of angel investors went from being less than 10% women to being fully a quarter, right? So we had Jenny Abramson from Rethink Impact in Episode 8. I think that one of the things that's been holding women back for so long is the lack of flexibility in our workforce. And I think that the pandemic has taught a lot of people who didn't have really an incentive to want to learn to use Zoom, to want to learn to work in other ways, that actually it can be more efficient. So I think that's one reason I'm hopeful. And the other is, you know, by 2030, women are going to control about two thirds of wealth in this country. And women controlling wealth is a very good thing because women like to invest in impact and diversity and all sorts of things. And that has downstream effects.
1: So we saw some gains in the number of women investors. Can investors use the good of network effect by diversifying who is in that network in other ways?
2: Well, this season, a lot of people said so. So on the other hand, though, we heard from Indy VC scout manager Adele Johnson, who said that the whole structure of venture capital is just inherently flawed.
3: There's a point in the size of a venture fund relative to the stage in which they invest, where the actual mathematical laws of VC break down. They're no longer venture funds. They're actually private equity funds in disguise and they're giving private equity type money to startups. And that is probably deleterious to both the startups and to the return potential of the fund. The later you invest, the more certainty there is, the less risk there is, essentially. But like all things, there's a balance. And what I'm saying is that the balance has not been struck. And we've gone way too far into building up these kind of large conglomerate funds that have too much money. That's problematic for various reasons. You don't want to overcapitalize a company like generally. But then also on the other side, then there becomes a group of startups where they are never capitalized because all of the money is hoarded by these folks. This makes me think of Victor Wang, who founded the nonprofit Right to
1: Start. He says that changing the entrepreneurship story is one that is entwined with changing investing.
2: Speaking of entrepreneurs, Michael, you reported out a story for Technically based on the second episode, which was focused on what entrepreneurs can teach investors. So that was with Emily Foote, who founded an ed tech company um, and has since moved on to BC.
1: Right, Julie. She said this.
2: I think when you think about the power dynamics, the investor...
0: They do have many more options of where to put their money than maybe an
2: entrepreneur does from a perspective of where to get their money, and so you know that's where I think the power dynamic comes in. They can they can always walk away. I had
0: an angel investor once tell me that most investors invest in a company and say, "Okay, now you work for me." She told me she preferred to think of it as if once she invests in a company, she goes. okay, now I work for the entrepreneur. I I don't actually think most investors would agree with that exactly, but there's a subtle theme in this season also about reputation management and investing. There's a lesson here of investors should be paying attention to how entrepreneurs would talk about them as a business partner. Once the power felt entirely in the investor's hands, perhaps that continues to change as this prominence grows.
2: Chris, that makes me think of your interview with Brian Brackeen, who founded one of the country's largest black owned venture firms with a fund that's focused on both geographic and founder diversity. You know, he sounds to me like he is a, like a service leadership kind of attitude.
0: Totally. And we had him and one of his LPs, a guy named Todd Kozen, in an episode I loved called How Can White Investors Be Part of the Solution? They, they talked about how you balance the morality and business advantage of fishing in a different pond than everyone else.
4: We've reached a point in America where we can no longer afford, all of us as a group, to do it the same way. The same way has led us to a literal breaking point. And if you can make money (laughs) as well, fixing that system. So again, we're not asking for any handouts here. We're not asking for donations. I'm trying to give you as much or more money back as in all (laughs) your other investments. If you can do that and have less issues in the street... Let's do that one. I mean, it goes back to the the talk about everyone fishing in the same pond. So everyone is in the same pond with, again, five fish. And next to you is Andreessen, right? These big firms, Sequoia. And these guys have boats with nets and they're out there (laughs) catching everything. And you're setting the side with a small rod. And then Lightship and a few others are fishing in a fully stocked pond. If you don't work at Sequoia, if you don't work at Andreessen, your chances of getting one of those five fish is infinitesimally low. Yep. And so when you say it's not my job, what is your job is to create market rate return and to find great companies. And if you're fishing in an empty pond, you're not doing your job.
2: I also think it's worth entrepreneurs and investors really questioning how companies get financed. So episode four was what are alternative funding options for equitable wealth creation? And we spoke to Kendrick Nguyen of Republic, which is in that category of equity crowdfunding, which wants to radically expand who can invest in private companies. And that's upending almost a century of legislative norms.
4: Before uh, 2016, uh, since the Great Depression, you have to be a millionaire to invest privately. 2016, the law changed under the Jobs Act, Uh, President Obama implemented it, that anyone, any background, any net worth, any age can invest in private companies. And I think 10, 20 years out, you're going to see that many more companies that would grow into a household brand through the financing they receive from retail investors, from their customers, without which they probably would not ever see the day of light or the life of day.
0: Challenging the form of business investing also came up in episode seven. That was that live conversation we had on what can philanthropy and venture capital teach each other. Knight Foundation CEO Alberto Abawin had some lessons for investors from philanthropy. There's a lot to be said for the kind of investing that philanthropy does. First of all, it is disinterested in a way that the private investor, that the for-profit investor is not. If what you're trying to do is public good versus personal gain, I think we perform a terrific service when we offer risk capital for the public good in a disinterested way. As a matter of principle, as a matter of social good,
1: I think we really do that well.
2: Yeah, and hey, you know I love a good impact story, but it can't be said enough that these are all some hardcore capitalists.
1: Yeah, no one here was calling for the socialist revolution. But there was plenty serious conversation about how more people can benefit from business investing. Everyone this season kept repeating about how getting investors of different backgrounds would help find products and services that might be overlooked by the same crew of white men in Patagonia sweaters. (laughs) <laughs> we We almost made it through off the
0: sidelines without a Patagonia reference, but but there it is, Michael. Close us out like despite the moment we are in, this season was no late stage capitalism burn down. instead, it was a whole lot of people giving advice on approaching investing from a different perspective that can still earn above market returns,
2: indeed, indeed. So do you guys think in the end when society has collapsed, we'll look back on how naive we were in this moment?
1: (laughs) Julie, too dark for a season finale, okay? Just please go back to your Spotify on rap playlist. Uh, implausibly that is
0: how we're gonna end the second season of off the sidelines that is it the the 11th and final episode of the second season of off the sidelines your investor education podcast off the sidelines is sponsored by project entrepreneur a program by ubs if you love off the sidelines check out the entire season and the first season dig into the archives leave a review it still means a lot if you do that like always music is by blue dot sessions thanks to the reporting of julie and michael in the entire Technically Newsroom. This episode was produced by Q9 Creative, including Kevin Schmidlin and Catherine Nails with post-production by Max Graham. I'm technically CEO, Chris Wink. We'll see you again someday.